it's Mordecai. Welcome back to the Origination Podcast, where we speak to the top originators and salespeople in the commercial real estate industry to try to understand what separates the top performers from the rest of the pack. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Yaakov Zar, founder and CEO of Lev Capital. Now, the commercial real estate industry is historically very sleepy, but nothing could be farther from the truth when it comes to Lev. Lev was started less than three years ago and just came out with a total bang. Recent estimates have them worth as much as $400 million, which is just remarkable. There's a lot that I love about Yaakov and our conversation. You know, his entrepreneurial spirit and perpetual optimism is, is great. I love his tenacious focus on the customer experience, trying to make life easier for both the borrower and the lender. Lastly, I love his priorities. You know, while he is entrepreneurial and, and hardworking and growing an incredibly successful business, which is not easy and takes a lot of time, he still doesn't lose focus from what's truly important to him. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. I know I did. So without further ado, let's speak to Yaakov. Yaakov Zar, this is a delight. Welcome to the Origination Podcast. Yes, sir. It's an honor to be here. Excited to, to chat with you. Yeah. Now, Yaakov, I always start the podcast with the same question. However, I'm going to start with a different question for you. No, I prepared, I prepared for the question. For the question? But for I'll your take first it. Sale. I'll take well, it. Well, you know what? I'll take it. All right. Look, you're an entrepreneur. You, you move on the fly, right? Don't worry. <laughs> whatever, this is, this whatever, is not I'm a hard here one. for you. This is not okay. a hard one. So I was doing some research on you and saw that, that you are what's called a shliach at a synagogue in the Lower East Side. And I, I want to see, could, can, you, can you describe for the audience like what, a, like what Chabad is and what, what a shliach does? Sure. It's a big question. So uh, mm. didn't expect to start with it, but let's, let's give it a shot. Chabad is a, a sort of sub-philosophy within the, the greater Hasidic philosophy of, of Judaism. And it is a, it was started in the 18, late 1700s with a focus on using our intellect as the ultimate uh, channel through which we serve God and being able to uh, focus on controlling our emotions, bodies, etc., even thoughts. Um, and directing them towards the towards the service of God. Um, the foundational book of it is called the Tanya, written by the by the Alter Rebbe Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi. Um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the seventh Rebbe, his great great grandsons for seven generations, um, in the 1950s took uh, over the mantle of leadership of Chabad and really pushed it forward as a uh, outreach or inreach, as he likes to call it. Um, community towards towards Jews and to serve as a, a resource for every single Jew in the entire world. And uh, it inspires me. And um, I, my wife and I, we were living in Boston after we got married. Uh, my wife was very close with Rabbi Korn at um, the Chabad House, which serves NYU. It's called Chabad House Bowery, and they have a young professional community as well. And we got uh, so excited by what Rabbi Korn was doing there that we decided to move back to New York and be a part and help run 
the community there. So my wife and I run the young professional community for Chabad Barry um, out of out of uh, the East Village. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. So what so what does it mean to be a shliach? The Rebbe very passionately would speak about the fact that every Jew is a shliach, every person is a shliach. Frankly, every everyone has a, a shliach. Literally means emissary. Um, that every one of us, every single person has the opportunity to uh, reveal God's light within this world, regardless of their religion, regardless of what their job is, you know, where they earn their money. Um, and in the more formal sense, a shliach helps run a Chabad center and helps um, offer everything from education to, you know, soup for the sick and, uh, it's it's an honor to, to to try to be a shliach of Hashem and of God and and to try to be a shliach of the Lubavitcher Rebbe in, in in realizing the work that he the vision that he had. Yeah, that that that's awesome. You know, for for those in the audience who are unfamiliar with what this can look like as a as a, a shliach, I mean, these are it's oftentimes you know uh, younger people. I mean, you could be older, but 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 you know, as, as young as I don't know, it's eighteen, nineteen, maybe even younger. That sure. they, yeah. But and they will. To me, I think it is. I actually think that they're some of the best salespeople uh, that you'll encounter, right? Because they'll stand in the middle of Manhattan, and there's let's say there there's a a um, one of the rituals that you do for that that Jews do on 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 Sukkot, you know, the holiday of Sukkot in the fall is to shake the uh, you know palm frond and and uh, citron, right? The lulav and etrog. Right now, and they will, they want to encourage people who, you know, to, to do that, that, um, practice. And so they'll stand in the middle of, you know, 57th street and seventh Avenue or, or fifth Avenue and approach everyone. Hey, did you, you know, are you, uh, do you want to shake the little of John? And this is New York city. Like these are, this is tough, 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 you know, yep. but, but they're able yep. to get, get some people. So I was curious what kind of is there training that you get as a shliach? Um, can I can I not answer your question, but provide some what I think is an interesting point to to what you described? And I was you know you you mentioned it, and once you mentioned that, I realized the the parallels with with sales. And you know, I was thinking as you're describing it, like you must be crazy, right? Like what you're describing is a pretty pretty uh, tough thing to do as a young person and to do as anybody to stand in the street and what what motivates that and what motivates me in in the work that I do both at at Lev and and in business and also in in um in personal life and in service of God which encapsulates encapsulates everything and I think that any salesperson who has genuine passion and dedication to what they're working on and realizes that sales you know there's this image of sales where selling is about tricking the other person into believing what you want you know uh, into going with what you want that's not sales that's like manipulation or lying or fraud or something else the, like, sales is about being able to effectively communicate the value that you're bringing to someone else and have them uh, be able to understand that and align with that and i think that you know in the work that a shliach does that you just described and also in sales in general it's about being able to one be passionate about the work that you're doing and understanding that it's it's actually valuable and then effectively communicating that value to the other person and i think that 
that probably is what motivates them and it definitely is what motivates me again both in 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 service of god and in my everyday life and also in business yeah so i'm going to get back to that because i i think you know i've read interviews of you and you and you were very focused on the why you know i think that yeah and that's an important thing to get into because yeah i do feel bad that i that i skipped the 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 typical question you know can you if I asked you, you know, about kind of earliest sales experience, you, know, you were clearly an entrepreneur from, from a, a young, young age, but, you know, earliest um, sales experience that co- comes to mind, because you know, I do think, I don't know if you would agree with this, to me, I think every entrepreneur has to also be a salesperson. You're selling something into yeah. an idea into the market. Um, do you agree with that, that every entrepreneur has For to sure. be a salesperson? I think everybody yeah. does, especially, especially entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. it's one of the most critical skill sets in life. Yeah. Period. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, so what? What's kind of the earliest sales experience that you know? What? 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 What comes to mind? Sure. Um, it's a, a funny story just came to mind that I haven't really spoken about in a very long time, and I should probably tell my mom this. But my mom, I remember when I was like probably ten years old or something. My mom had become a real estate agent. And she was, you know, getting into, into the business and just like, you know, we were getting older and there was, you know, less, less taking care of kids at the time. She was a full-time mom, an amazing one at that, thank God. And she bought this like set of CDs of sales training of, for mm. like, you know, they sell like these CDs, I guess. And uh, I remember listening to those. I remember she was like listening to them in the car or something. And then somehow I just like listened to all of them extensively. Hmm. at a very young age and i'm sure you know somewhere deep down inside my my subconscious those lessons still exist so that was my that's my earliest memory of anything related to sales period i think the first Hmm. time that i really more formally got into into the process of selling was um in college i was making websites for people as a you know way to make money to do things that people do in college (laughs) and uh i would have to sell a lot there you know get get people to agree to, to contracts and to the work that we were doing and um I remember it being, you know, realizing quickly that it's about figuring out what kind of value are you bringing to the other person and how can you communicate that to them effectively. Hmm. So, so first, in terms of the sales CDs, any lessons that stick out that you remember hearing on them? Yeah, I'm. I, I've, I'm trying to think about it. Like I, I don't remember the specifics. I'm just sure that like pretty much everything I know about sales probably came from there it was it was right. a long time ago but i was young i have a i have a, we had a baby she's a she's a year and a half old now she and we just see like every single thing you do regardless of your intention she just somehow cut baby's copy and that definitely sticks with you up to a certain age where, you know i wish that i could absorb to that extent now but um she i think i absorbed a lot of that and i think that like just the the i vaguely remember them like talking about the importance of like communicating effectively, understanding what the other person is looking for, things like that. And um, I think that those are, you know, really, really critical aspects of sales. Yeah. It's funny how these early things make an imprint on on you, you know, and then you forget about them. Yeah. My, 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 uh, my mom is, um, you know, she may be like moving from, you know, the house that, that they've lived in for, I don't know, 30 years or so. So she's been going through her attic and finding old notebooks of mine from, right. You know, long ago, um, she she recently brought to me a, a notebook, and and there was a a list that I, I must have put together 
I must've been in high school, like 16, 17, 18. And it was like 50 rules to live by. Right. And it was about family right? and, you know, like just about how to relate to your kids and your wife and priorities. Right. And I was, yeah. and I haven't thought about it. I totally forgot about it. I still didn't, I don't remember when I wrote it, but when I was reading through it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I, this is all the stuff that's important to me now. Right. You know, so right. it's like, it's funny how the, these things, like, even if you don't remember specifics, they do yep. tend to see it and make an imprint. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that go in college? So you're selling websites. How did, what did that look like? Who, who are you approaching? Yeah. How, what were you saying? So I started, um, it was my uncle like introduced me to a company and I made a, a I was in way over my head on a project and we uh, made a website for an e-commerce brand that was selling chairs. Quickly, I was, it was, it was mainly, you know, local businesses and, and friends of friends and friends of, of family that needed a basic website. This was in, you know, let's say 2009-ish. So the internet definitely was, was well matured, but um, not everyone had a, a website. And also I was doing a lot of like making social media pages for people, making Facebook mm. pages for them. And uh, that, that grew a bunch. And I, like I said, it was just about making enough money to, to get by and be able to have a good time in college. I, I don't know if I took it way too seriously. Yeah. At some point it did evolve. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point it, it, it evolved into, into what? It, it evolved into my first attempt at a real startup. Um, mm. I started a company in college called Social Rent, where we were uh, helping, trying to help roommates find apartments together. So you'd come on Facebook and there was a Facebook app back in the day when there was apps like built into Facebook. And you can... Um, you can find you like add in your roommates to your Facebook friends and you design the apartment you want. And we would bring in like, we'd, we'd get an agent to upload a bunch of apartments that they thought was a good fit for you. And you would comment on them, whatever it, it didn't get very far, but I definitely learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were some of the lessons that you had from, from that business? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I met the two develop the three developers. Well, I met two of the developers on a roof of a frat party in college, mm. and I learned about recruiting, which was quite quite some something. I learned a lot about product management of figuring out, you know, what what is the experience that users want, and how should it look, and how should it work. Um, that was a big lesson, and also driving, you know, some level of management of driving people towards a, a goal and a vision. Mm -hmm. That was that was a big. Um, big learning experience for me we spent we spent like the month of winter break in college uh in a in the basement of one of our investors building out the first version of that of that facebook application and it was quite a journey wow that's so you so you know how to code yourself a little bit yeah i did dabble yeah. dabble yeah yeah that's that's um so you were able to understand, you also had the language to communicate with these developers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely learned a lot about like how to communicate requirements and how to get people buying into things at that time. But yeah. um, I was, I was, you know, decently well-versed. Yeah. I mean, they were also college students, so they weren't, you know, the world's most sophisticated engineers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. So let, let's get back to the, the why. 
Sure. Because I feel like that is something that, well, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you feel like that is something that salespeople think about or pay attention to? Like what, uh, what their, the why is, you know, let's say, let's, let's talk about our industry, you know, and commercial sure. real estate, um, you have originators or brokers or investment sales people. Um, do you feel like, like there's, there is that focus on, on why? That's a very good question. I think that many, I want to say most, but I think that that's an overstatement. I think that many uh, people that work in commercial real estate are focused on the deal and that's not really a sale necessarily. Like I think a lot of people's jobs in commercial real estate, like a lot of brokers and brokerages, the, the job is not selling as much as it is deal making, which I think is a pretty different. There's a lot of like close, you know, parallels in, in that, a lot of similarities, but I think it's a little bit different. I think that sa- sales is being a good salesperson in, my opinion, I've, I've, I've met a, a decent amount of, of, of pretty astonishing salespeople. I think the thing that's consistent about them is that they are genuinely, like I mentioned up front, like they are genuinely there to help their clients and figure out the mm-hmm. right solutions for them. I think that as buyers, we know we can sense people's um, genuineness and honesty in a sales transaction. And I think that good salespeople also are in the game for, for the long run. And they are pretty... Um, upfront in situations where it's not a good fit or something might not work. They're not going to go and drag someone in a long process or painful process or have them buy something that they don't want. Um, I think that they, they understand the importance of establishing that trust and they invest a lot of energy in establishing that trust with their, with their counterpart. Right. And they see themselves as partners, right. And getting the deal done. Yeah. I, I think one thing that, that people need to keep in mind is that when a, as a salesperson, it's easy to think that your customer is buying the present, right? It's like that you have a, a product and, and, and yeah. you're buying, you know, it's like you're, you're someone's thirsty and they're buying a bottle of water. Right. But really it's the reason why someone buys from you, especially I think in our industry is because is they're buying into their future and they're buying into their own future. Right? So, so yeah. there's some, there's something that they want to achieve, right? There's something if, if, there's a position that they would like to be in in the future. Maybe it's lower payments, or maybe it's cashing out, yeah. or maybe it's selling their asset, or maybe it's buying an asset. Right? And if they believe that you have, um, that you, if they trust that that you are someone who can be a bridge to their desired future, right? Yeah. That they'll want to work with you, right? If it's just about like, oh, I can, if if it's, uh, but it's not just about well, just look at who has the cheapest milk and, you know, that's go with, you know, go with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's definitely true. I think that there it's also the sales experience is important for the buyer too, right? Like they want to work, they, they want to work with people. They want to buy from people that they enjoy working with. And again, like if we put ourselves in the shoes of buyers, like I know what it's like when someone's trying to sell me and not, trying to help me figure out what the right solution for me is. Mm. And it is a terrible experience, right? Like I run away from that and I'm sure, you know, if you experience that you do as well, it's, it's not, it's not enjoyable. So why would someone, you know, 
try to invest further in that relationship with you if they just sense like they're, they're that they're being used. Right. Right. It's like, are you the customer or are you the product? You know, and it right. starts to feel like you're the you're the product, right? That's right, just right. to serve the and that they feel the salesperson is their own customer. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Do do you see, I mean, you work with so many different salespeople. Do you see any thing that that's common themes for for actions, attitudes, things that that salespeople get wrong or miss the mark on? You know, like so if I to, to fill in the blank on, you know, most or many salespeople do do this, right? But this is really what, what they should do or think or approach. Um, I think that the discipline of sales is pretty astonishing. I think that you see a pretty clear um, pattern of good salespeople being extremely disciplined in the work that it takes, right? Like it's a, what was the line that we, uh, we, uh, you work, you work enough, the more you work, the more chance the of luckier, the, the luckier you get. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, exactly. Right. So that, I mean, that's like salespeople know that better than anybody else. You have to put in the work and that's, that's the tough thing of like, what is the work that you're putting in? And there's people who interpret that as like, okay, I'm just going to make more calls. But if you're not analyzing what is working and not working in those calls, what's working and not working in those interactions, then it's just a waste of time. So, you know, there's people who, who get into commercial real estate or into any sales job and they just like think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this like other approach. It's a little bit easier or just focused on, you know, um, sending more detail, very few, like super detailed emails, or I'm just going to send emails instead of calls. Like there's discipline to all of that. And there's ways to be creative but in my opinion, it's really important to just put in that work itself and get the conversations going and start to develop that the some level of like metrics and tracking. Also, salespeople who are making calls without clear tracking and clear mm. follow-up, like it blows my mind. Like what what are you what are you doing? Right? It seems like you're just throwing work out the window. Or um, they call someone and don't end the engagement, you know, they're not able to engage a client for whatever reason. And it just like disappears into the ether and they're not making follow-up calls or follow-up emails or, you know, whatever the next steps are blows my mind. Like you, you've invested all this work to get to some point. And then because of like not wanting to update the CRM for two seconds, you're going to basically lose that opportunity or hope that you're going to remember it, which like we know it doesn't, you know, that's not how memory works. So um, I think that that concept of discipline in general is, is, is really, really important. Yeah. You know, in, in the technology world, the idea of AB testing is, is very common. You know, that exactly, yeah. that you, you try out, okay, two different kinds of emails and see what gets a better response or two different yep. know, websites that it's to your point about learning and adjusting, you know, as you go along the sales process, I think that really is very, very critical. And I don't know that that's really an interesting thing for people to keep in mind is to do an AB test, right? So as you're tracking, so what, so you say tracking, but what does that mean? So I think a lot of people will, will track, they'll say, okay, call them on March 31st. Yeah. Call back you know, in two weeks or a month, whatever it is. Yeah. But are you looking at 
well, what time of day did I, did I call, you know, and what was my, what was my, uh, what was my, what were the first words out of my mouth when they picked up the phone? Right. And let me, let me test, let me do 50 calls, like, like with saying one thing and then 50 calls saying something else. And let's say, do I get more calls back or better reception with one versus the other? So that, totally, that yeah. it's got to be iterative. It, it should, it should be iterative and, um, improving, but I think a lot of people get caught on that first part of like, well, it's just a numbers game and, you know, it's a discipline thing. So let right. me just keep on putting in the same call. Right. The and discipline just, is, yeah. is to your point, like the discipline is, it is a numbers game for sure. Yeah. But that's like, you're going to, if you're, you know, the numbers of doing something terrible, you're not going to have any return on it. So I think that also, I think that people don't, um, people miss out by, by not engaging in some of that testing and exploration stuff, because that's actually one of the most fun parts of sales is like being able to get creative with that. And the discipline is in balancing those two things, right? Like you're balancing the hard work and the grind that you got to do and the rejection and the calls and the, that, you know, it's, it's, it's painful. Um, but with this level of like awesome creative exploration and like, you know, opportunities to, to challenge yourself and figure out new things and, and, you know, push a little bit further and you know, have a good time doing it. I have a, I have a, I, I, you know, when I'm fundraising or doing anything with running my business or just general, like, you know, helping represent our company, I tell the same exact story every single time, but that story is evolving continuously. Like the, the explanation of how we started the business and what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve, et cetera, it's continuously being refined. And the challenge that I have and the fun part about it is both like, is understanding how am I communicating it to this person from their framework of understanding it. And that you have that same uh, question with any product that you're selling, right? Like if it's commercial real estate finance in, in, in your case or, or in my case, or in, you know, a, a, any product that you're selling, it's about being able to figure out like, how is, what are, what are these person's challenges right now? Where do they sit? How are they interpreting what I'm saying? What are the predispositions that they might have to people trying to sell commercial real estate finance? What are the, the, the assumptions that they may have in place about the products that we have, about our brand, about me, and being able to sort of like craft your message in that specific scenario. So though I say the same thing 20 times a day, it's very, very different in each scenario of what I'm focusing on, of what I'm trying to make sure the other person understands, what I'm repeating and pushing further on, what questions I'm asking and trying to understand from that person. Because then it really becomes about problem solving in each and every conversation, right? Like I'm trying to understand, I'm asking good questions of, of my counterparty and trying to understand what are their needs and how can I address those needs those needs in, in almost like a solution architect way as, a, as an advisor and, and, and as a source of support. Um, and that's fun, I think. That's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. The thought that comes to mind is that you really want to make it, make the work into play, you know? Yeah. And if it's, if it's just work, then it's just kind of a grind, you know? Yeah. But if it's play, then it's, it's, uh, you know, if you see a, a, a little kid, how they, how they play, right. They try to build a, you know, a, a building with Lincoln logs and it falls and it yeah. doesn't work. Right. It's like, it's not like, Oh, forget it. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Right. I'm never doing right. this. It's well, all right, let me try again. What did I learn from yeah. that? Let me try to build it with a different kind of a piece and see, you yeah. know, see that's how I can get it that, that way. Yep. That's huge. Yeah. One question I had for you 
in terms of the discipline and hours, yeah, you, you mentioned in one of your, in an interview that, that I read of yours that, you know, the, in this world, the, the ultimate results are not really up to us, right? There's so many different factors that go into it, right? But we need, but we need to try, right? We need to put in the yeah. effort, but there's at, at a, a certain point, you know, putting in more hours doesn't necessarily guarantee more results, right? No matter how many yeah. calls you make, it could be that, that, the um, that Russia will attack Ukraine and interest rates will jump up by a point and then your, your pipeline yep. will, will be decimated, you know? That's so, fine. so how do you know what the right amount of hours is, right? There's one thing that I found when I was in sales is that, and this was a very, this was very stressful for me is that it was, it was, it was never enough, right? There was always, you could always be making the next call. You could always be looking for that next deal. And so there wasn't a natural end to a day or projects, you know, so for me, I found that to be, um, you know, kind of stress inducing, but what, what are you, like, what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, like what, what, how are, how many hours is it? Like, is it, you know, how do you balance that with like the, the discipline and just kind of keep on plugging? And, yep. you know, there were, there are many years when, when I was at the office from you know, eight in the morning till midnight. Right. And, and this is for like years on end, just because just chasing. Right. But so what is the, how does someone figure out yeah. the number of hours? Yeah. By the way, it, it also, I think applies both ways. Like there's some people who are more comfortable just like being at the office, whether they're trying to avoid other things at home or, you know, whatever it is. So you have to, yeah. you have to use the right judgment of, of what's right for, for each person and also be conscious of what motivates you and how to set up the right sort of like reward incentives for yourself and play games with yourself to like get to the, to the right headspace. So for, for, there's not a number here. I think, I think that the being able to use your understanding and analysis of where you need to be to get that work done and then being conscious and disciplined in like going home and taking time to relax. And of course, spending time with your family and spending time with your you know, loved ones. Those are, those are the main things. And also having in your mind that like, those are the things that actually will matter in life in the long term, um, way more than one extra deal or not. So I think it's tough. I think, you know, each person needs to figure out for themselves what works for them and, and for their family and for their lives. And I think that now with the, the prevalence of working from home, it also creates other challenges both in, in both directions as well. Like you might, you can be much more flexible where you're um, working hours that work better for you and, and you know, where you're able to, to fit it into your life, but you could also get sucked into work in a way deeper way than you would have otherwise. Yeah. Cause you can just roll out of bed and go right to your desk and then and it, end yep, up there till, till back 10, 10 o'clock at night, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably yeah. pretty unhealthy. Usually unhealthy. Yeah. yeah, I would think so. So let's talk about Lev and the why. So at Lev, so how would you describe your why with Lev? Sure. So our focus is on helping commercial real estate investors get the right financing for their properties with the best experience. We think that the process for getting commercial real estate financing is long, complex, confusing. Um, and there's a lot of... Um, misaligned incentives in, in getting that deal done. And we hope to bring some transparency and, and a way better experience to that, to that transaction. Yeah. Well, that, that was, a, that was a, 
good succinct way of telling your story of your your uh yeah. your why. I told you I practice it 20 times a day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great elevator pitch. I feel like I can be like one long-winded sometimes. So like whenever I have to give my elevator pitch, I'm like very self-conscious because I feel like yeah. I find myself it's like how long have I been talking already? So I, I got to work on on that. Um the there is a sense if you talk to salespeople in our industry, you know, that even though the technology is everywhere around us and has, you know, made, uh, it really transformed so much of our, of our lives. There is, you'll commonly hear this idea that, oh, like you can't, well, not, not us, right. That, that you'll always need a human being involved. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And in terms of the model of Lev, like, does it still have a salesperson in, involved? I guess you have, like, you're still, you know, you're connecting with the, with the bank, but how do you see things now? And where do you see things going? You know, maybe in, I don't know, let's call it 10 years is way too hard to predict, but maybe like three to five years. Um, okay. Deep, that's a deep, big question. I think that the I want to give you two answers. I'm going to give you the the pro and the I'm going to give you the positive and the opposing answer. People were very confused about the fact that you would get cash out of an ATM or put your checks into an ATM or even not have to put your checks into an ATM but just deposit it from your phone. And they were convinced that like that's just not possible. But no one would imagine. I don't, I haven't spoken to a bank teller in maybe since I was a kid and I went to the bank with my parents. So Obviously, we don't always know exactly how the world is going to evolve. I think that there's a lot of complexities to commercial real estate. I think that there's a level of like uh, human uh, visibility or, or you know, risk reduction that happens through the human that is necessary. But I think that we, we fail to realize that computers are much more accurate at pretty much everything than humans are. So we think like humans are going to reduce the risk of something, but usually they just add risk. We make way more mistakes than computers do. We make way more errors, forget things. Computers don't do that. They follow exactly the instructions that we that we give them. So I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see a lot of the processes start to evolve. And I think that at some point, the sort of like um, the dam will break and a large portion of transactions will start to be mostly digitized. I think for some period, there'll be like a lot of the lenders that are still doing some human oversight and making sure that they cover their, you know, cover their behinds throughout the process. But, you know, there's, there's, there's no way that that's going to last for, for, for the long term. Yeah. And now are you talking about like underwriters and people involved in the analysis of the property or, or even the, like the client representatives? If we take away the restrictions of time and resources, there will be a point where your portfolio is automatically optimizing itself without you ever having to think about it with the capital that needs to be there. Yeah. With like no one involved. Now, just to push back a little bit, right? So I, I do think that, that technology has a much larger role to play. I would say that the single family market and the retail market are light years ahead today of where of where commercial real estate is, right? That's you know a lot of this like the 
you know, the valuation and, you know, the processes that, you know, that you have a, a, um, that lenders have, but still my single family home isn't automatically refinanced when rates go down, right? I still have to do something. I have to call someone I have to, and maybe it's my current lender, even my current lender, I would have to call. Right. But, you know, but if I want to switch, uh, you know, switch lenders, then I'd have to go through that. So that has not become an automated process yet for single family. So why, so I, so I wonder just, um, how quickly that would happen. And maybe, and ideally that would happen, right? The priorities are different in, in, in single family. I think in single Mm -hmm. family, there's not the drive towards a bunch of things. One is that single family, you're pretty much dependent on the agencies and thereby the government in their lending products and standards, et cetera. So you're, I don't know what the exact ratios are, but like the vast majority of loans are 30 year fixed mortgages, or at least, you know, agency conforming loans. Um, in also the effect of the, the incentive of creating an optimized residential loan continuously is relatively low from the market. Whereas if you own a portfolio of real estate, like you want that portfolio to be, to have an optimized capital stack continuously. And it has a huge effect on your returns. And in many cases, like the financing is the structure is the method of getting the returns that you want. So I think that the focus on that is much different, right? Like there's, there's armies of capital markets teams at large commercial real estate investors that have, that are, that are doing this right now manually, right? Like they're constantly and continuously analyzing portfolios. Yeah. So at currently what role do salespeople have in the process in, in, in Lev's current process? Um, they help us engage customers, mm-hmm. help us engage new customers. So they're getting in contact with customers, explaining the value add that we bring and getting them engaged. Yeah. So, so the, the inquiry starts on, on online and then it might start online or it might start through a phone call or through email or through, you know, any channel. Yeah. Got it. Now, so you have, so your, your target customer, you have on the one hand, you have the owner of the real estate. On the other hand, you have the, the lenders. Are there, is there pushback that you're getting from lenders given, well, do they see you as, as a potential, uh, you know, source of like, just re- of replacing them? Like, are they, do they see you as, as friend or, or foe? Yeah, when you're I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. I see you as a friend. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. We uh, we uh, we 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 hope. I'm sure people have, you know, whatever opinions of me that they that they want or of love as they that they want. Um, but we uh, we we see ourselves as a a, a partner to both lenders and to to um and to commercial real estate investors and frankly to to financing brokers as well. We we see ourselves as partners we're um our focus is on driving the industry forward and helping clients get the best experience everyone wants the clients to have wants their clients to have the best experience we yeah. want to do whatever that takes and we want to partner with everyone else who's aligned with that there's there's not like we're not on a mission to come in and like you know kick everyone and kick everyone in the you know stomachs and get them out of the way so that we can take the money that's there. We want to help 
customers get the best experience and we want to help drive that with all the partners that are involved in that in that transaction so yeah um we 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 collaborate with lenders i mean we every deal we have a lender on the other side we work very closely with hundreds if not thousands of lenders we have tools that are available for lenders that they that many lenders um, are licensing to use for operating their own businesses more effectively and we're proud of that and we we're we're, we're committed to working with them yeah i i want to just amplify something that you just said cuz i think it's really really critical you know, that your focus is on improving the customer experience right there are, yeah. there are you know one of my you know this idea of disruption right this disruptive te- yeah. technologies right that's gotten a lot of of airtime over the last i don't know 10 years or or more sure. right but it actually disruption disruptive disruptive is actually kind of a pet peeve of mine as a, as a, as a term right because yeah. i think it's i think it's not there's a lot that's counter that's not helpful and actually counterproductive to that to that term because yeah. usually when 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 you hear that a that a company is that we're going to come in and disrupt this industry what it really means is that we're going to put a lot of people out of work yeah and so that we can make a small group of us you know of yeah. the, uh, the the company and our investors can make a lot of money you know, yeah i think I'm that greedy. it's yeah it's it's not you want to change the world right you want to make it uh, you know yeah. you want to make it better but you don't want to be known for like oh they put a lot of people out of work right you want to be put a, yeah. you want to be known for for i think helping to transform people and make and make their lives better so i think what what you're saying is that you in some ways right you don't care which way the in, like if the industry goes with you know say, you know with with um totally automated or not like that's there's a lot that's that's unknown and we'll just have to see how different things play out you know there's other yeah. challenges in terms of the agencies and the lenders and what they regulators right but the point is if you're if you're really your why underlying it all is is to continuously improve the customer experience right through a, yeah. a, what what's a, a complicated and painful process i think that that's exactly right yeah i think that the with with a focus on the customer you can you'll ultimately ultimately everything else will play out the way that it needs to and the partners will come and the clients will come and you'll 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 get to that to that end state and like you described there's many different paths to get there and i i wish i knew which one it's going to take but um i think if we keep an eye on on that on the client and on their experience we're going to we're going to be successful yeah and that's why you know i work for greystone we're a lender like and and you're correct like i see you as as friend not not threat because i see you as i also am very focused on the customer experience right that's what i you know i i want to make life easier for for our customers and for our own employees yeah i also know that there's a limit to what you can do with an established or a, a large or medium sized like established organization with hundreds of people yep. it's just not as easy you can't you can't be as nimble as you can with a a startup technology company so i would Absolutely. look you know so you know i i think for lenders you should be looking at 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 lev is like they can be your cutting edge front end right that you that would yeah. otherwise take 10 years to 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 build yourself i think that that's yes that's our perspective is like there's 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 a lot of opportunity for us to together bring the customer experience where we want it to be and help each business achieve their their 
goals and, and the vision that they have and, and where they're really experts. Like there's lenders who are ex, who have incredible capital sources. There's lenders who have amazing underwriting models, like what, whatever the right, um, whatever the advantage of those, of those different players are, let's focus on that. My, my expertise is not in capital markets. My expertise is in building great technology products and, 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 great customer experiences so we want to partner with you know the right people who, who support that yeah yeah and people who don't aren't the right partners yeah that's exactly yes yeah. for sure and the people who don't are gonna like the people who want to just do everything themselves are going to spend a lot of time it's lonely yeah that i mean that's that's the thing right is that i it, it's sure you can do it all yourself but the, I think the people who are going to make it are going to view technology as, as a leverage tool and, and they're going to be, they're going to recognize that their unique ability, what they bring to the universe is not, um, collecting documents and, yep. and, you know, just data entry. Right. And if you yep. can figure out how to uh, leverage technology for those things, they can spend more time on the phone with their clients and maybe exactly. get home a little earlier, you know? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So the audience of, of this podcast is, is a lot of salespeople. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So any message that you would have for them in terms of how they should be thinking about working with you or potentially for you, you know, what do you think your like the value proposition is like, if you're, you know, if, if you're a, um, you know, an originator, you know, maybe an investment sales broker or, or a broker or a debt broker, um, how should they be thinking about you? Um, and also like, just, you know, I know hiring is, a, is a, a priority for, for everyone, you know, maybe you could just talk about the value proposition. Yeah. Also for if, if someone wanted to come work for, for Lev. Sure. So, um, we work with a ton of investment sales brokers, financing brokers, lenders as partners. We get referrals. A lot of our business comes from referrals from, from this partner network. Um, and we're excited about that. And we invest a lot of time and energy into our partnerships and into the network associated with that. And to make sure that um, our partners feel that we are giving their clients the absolute best experience. And we truly look at it as their clients and we're the, we're the, we're the channel to, to make that happen. So um, we have a, a team dedicated to that and we have some information about that on our website and we're happy and ready and excited to, to, to you know, put more resources towards that with new partners. Um, for people who, for our originations team, I mean, our sales team is one of the most exciting teams that we have at our company. We have a team of incredibly smart, dedicated, hardworking people there, um, working, who, disciplined people who are um, building out processes and systems that are pretty unique in the world of commercial real estate. We've taken a, a interesting approach to sales that is not like just brute force deal at all costs, like, you know, let everyone else bleed, but really let's bring, uh, let's act as partners to our clients and bring them what is valuable to them. And in scenarios where we're not useful, let's just, you know, uh, shake hands and, and walk away kindly. Um, and I think that that team has people who are learning more about sales skills, sales processes, a lot about commercial real estate, a lot about um, being a partner to your clients. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, you didn't say this, but I would not be surprised if it were also true, but you know, that, that, um, 
given how you've organized the company around client experience, but you know, one of the things that is frustrating for really anyone in a, in a company, but I think for salespeople in particular, is that technology is often like handed to them, you know, where it's like pushed down onto yeah. them, like that was built by managers or people who don't appreciate like what their day to day is, um, yeah. and you know, they may have ideas for other technologies, but it's hard. There's so many different technology priorities. It's hard to respond to them. I, I tell me if this is true, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if working for Lev, you also have a, you can influence your, your surroundings and your tools as well as your, you know, cause you can, you're probably surrounded by technology people who are looking for your feedback. Yeah. And you have people who are, you know, literally building to your requests. And that's, I think, um, really exciting we we i mean every sales org should should operate in that way like there's we have a sales operations team that's dedicated to building the tools and processes for um for making our sales team better and that's that includes analytics and systems and and etc which is um which is really really important so yeah i think that that's that's definitely an important part of the process yeah so one other area i just want to just spend some time on before we we, we finish. You know, you are um, you have a very enjoyable LinkedIn presence. Yeah, you, know, you seem <laughs> to use that very effectively. Um, and I'm curious to like, like I don't know what it, you know because I I um, I don't know why I check LinkedIn. Like most of the stuff is like feel it feels like it's people just I don't know just like posting their own like refrigerator door stuff. I I interact with. LinkedIn's like my primary mode of interfacing with people with regards to origination and letting people know about it and, you know, getting yep. the word out. So, but how do you, like, what's your approach to, to it? It just, how do you use it as a tool and, and what, what are you thinking when you're like, you know, posting? Okay, sure. So I have very strong opinions about LinkedIn. First of all, I, I always make fun of my wife of how much she's on Instagram mm-hmm. and I'm probably on LinkedIn more than she is. The mm-hmm. difference is that I feel like or pretend that I'm working, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's really just for my own mind. And I think that's the magic of LinkedIn that we go to we go to the office, we feel stupid scrolling Instagram at the right. office because that's definitely not productive. Right. But in reality, we're just scrolling LinkedIn, which is equally unproductive. Often, right. that's not to say right. that there's not a lot of opportunities to do great things there, but you know, it ultimately it's it's what we make of it. I uh, I just I I I have a lot of fun posting things that I find funny or like I just find it fun to you know incredibly sarcastic exaggerated posts and other people find it entertaining but I primarily do it because like I just try to see how, how far I could go without people thinking I'm out of my mind so yeah. I don't know where I've landed. There's definitely yeah. been times where I got calls from my uh, from my co-founder, Sammy. Or uh, pretty much every post I make, my sister and brother tell me that I'm an idiot. But um, when Sammy calls me and says that I went too far, I usually delete my posts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that I get from you is that I do think you kind of look at your work as as play, you know. And yeah, anyone just I you went deeper into it into in, in one particular interview, but but even just anyone who talks to you for even like five ten minutes you see that, that your, your vision is, um, your why is much greater, right. Than, than your, what you happen to be doing, you know, with your professional, uh, 
energy at, at, at the time. I, I, I think, sorry to interrupt you. I think that people think that they need to like create this persona of who they are for work. And it just seems like unnecessary in my mind to like put all this work into like pretending to be this like buttoned up professional person that no one likes to interact with anyway, because that's how everyone else is. Like, I just try to be real in every aspect. And I, I don't know if I do a good job at it. I definitely have a lot of, you know, my wife definitely thinks I have a lot of walls up. <laughs> I definitely have a facade, but like, but I think that that's just, that's probably the main thing that I try to communicate in my LinkedIn or through my LinkedIn posts. It's like, this is, we're just working. Like, this is just a, a, a means to an end. Like we're just here as puppets and, you know, in, in this like fake world where every single thing is like pretty much made up and we have, uh, we do the best that we can. I try to serve God and everything that I do. And, you know, there's no point of like being miserable or like trying to be all like, you know, pretend to be this like hardcore, you know, write these like thought long LinkedIn posts with like, uh, you know, like they put their space. So you have to hit load more. And then you like, you know, engage in the comments kind of thing. Like, it's just too much for me. So I just post things that I think are entertaining with the goal of like, and that's just how I have every single one of my conversations as, as we've had in our conversations. Like I'm just trying, I'm doing the best I can. That's all yeah. I could do. Yeah. Yeah. And you're being you. Yeah. I think that, that that's yeah. maybe another thing maybe we can leave people with is that I think the more true you can be to yourself, right. That it's, you know, people want to work with, with, with real human beings, you know, and, exactly. and, uh, they're not looking to work with bankers or with a banker or a broker. Like they're looking to work with, with a person. Um, and, exactly. and that's the successful salespeople do that. You know, they are, um, they're, they leverage their personality and they, they, they're just out there. They just are who they are. You know, and that gives, gives something to connect with. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, Yaakov, this was a really enjoyable conversation for me. I could go on it's for well. mu much longer with my other questions about you know, how to learn more about the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and his, uh, his teachings. There's a great yeah. book called The Rebbe, I think, by Joseph Telushkin. I'm going to have to look that up. Who knew that that Chabad was you know, the boot camp for for such great you know sales training? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Yaakov, thank you again for your time, and uh, we'll talk okay. soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye.